Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Monergy Life. This is your host, Robert Fisher, and I hope you're having a great day. I know that I've been having a really interesting and enjoyable day so far, and I know it's going to even get more tasty with my guests. While waiting for her to call in, let me just briefly give you an idea as to her background. She's a certified food therapist, a professional chef, an avid eater, and an overall lover of life. All of that fits in so well with the Munergy philosophy of abundant living now. And let's face it, what's more a perfect example of abundance than having a delicious, healthy meal? That is so important to our well-being. I know for myself, since I work a lot at home, I look forward to going out to lunch and Lunch for me is a great example to um, meet up with friends, try new places to eat, and in general, enjoy the midpoint of the day. I think it's so, so important. And while I don't uh, make lunch into the elaborate affair that it might be in some European countries along with wine and two or three hours, even if it's an hour or an hour and a half, it's such a great way to break up the day that I really, really enjoy it. Uh, so I, it, I'm really looking forward to uh, Natalie calling in, and there she is. Uh, <clears throat> Hi. Hello, Natalie. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I was just wrapping up my introduction to our listeners to tell them about who you are. And one of the things I mentioned was, you know, uh, if you go to go to the website for uh, my book, Monergy Life, you see it's all about abundant living. Now, what could be more mm-hmm. abundant than having a delicious, healthy meal to look forward to? I totally agree. A lot of times people see healthy food as limiting the what you can't be eating. Um, but I often talk to my clients about what they're gaining when they're eating healthy food, lots of energy, better sleep, better digestion, clear skin, things like that. So if you have an abundance mindset, you can really look at the glass half full instead of half empty. Right. And I also mentioned before you called in that one of my favorite things to do living in New York City, and very often I'm working at home writing all day, is to take a nice lunch break and meet up with friends. And, I, you know, I don't do lunch the European way in terms of I don't do a two or three hour lunch with a bottle of wine, but even an hour right. and a half catching up with a friend, having a great meal is a wonderful way to break up the day. And I really, really enjoy that, that little Uh, you know, that little pattern to do. That's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, there's also physiological reasons why taking a break for lunch is a great thing to do. When we're relaxed, we're able to digest our food better. We're able to assimilate our nutrients. Our metabolism is chugging along. So relaxing over a meal, glass of wine with a friend, that's actually doing your health some good, not just your, you know, your mental health, but your physical health as well. Right. And as you and I both know, it's all related. So everything Mm -hmm. you do for your emotional health affects you physically and vice versa. Totally. uh, 
to get back into the food area, now, what person listening to this show is not interested in great, healthy food? I think it's fair to say that pretty much everyone listening today and everyone who's going to listen to this as an archive show would love to know more about healthy, delicious food. This is what we're all striving to do. So what are some of the key elements in creating a healthy, delicious meal that you see, Natalie? Well, I was actually just talking to one of my clients today about meal prepping. She was talking about how she overprepped too many proteins and she wasn't excited by her meals. So we talked about what makes not only a nutritionally balanced meal, but a meal that you're excited to eat, which is just as important actually for your digestion because when we're excited for our food, there's a phase of digestion called the cephalic phase, which is literally what, like us getting excited and noticing our food. So creating a a meal that is tasty, has crunch, has acid, has sweet, salty, all the kind of textures and flavors is is actually great for us as well because we're excited to eat it and we're able to produce better digestive enzymes and things like that. So when I'm thinking about um, what I want to be cooking for my lunch or dinner, I usually start pretty basic with in terms of the protein, vegetable, and fat. So I usually have like a roasted protein or a, uh, you know, like a baked uh, fish or a, or a chicken, and then I add in whatever seasonal vegetable. Um, so right now would be like some roasted tomatoes or some summer squash. And then the way that I get excited for my food is thinking about a, a dressing. So like a sauce or a dressing, and I love making like a green goddess or a horseradish, uh, you know, sauce or something like that. And then I kind of drizzle that over, chop up whatever herbs I've grabbed for the week. And to me, that makes it feel like a really luxurious sort of restaurant quality meal versus just having your plain roasted, you know, chicken and potatoes or a salad. I think for me it's all about the dressing and adding in some herbs too. Right. That sounds like great uh, great advice in terms of making a meal not only more balanced but tasty and interesting as well. You know, I'm a little mm-hmm. fascinated with uh, the fact that you're a certified food therapist. And, you mm-hmm. know, probably most of the people listening to this show have not gone to a food therapist. Maybe they have issues <laughs> with food. Maybe they're a little overweight, want to be in a little better shape, as most Americans today might might say. But what are some of the issues that you've encountered as a food therapist? And I, I think everybody would be curious to know some of the issues that you've dealt with. You know, people are familiar with bulimia, anorexia. Are those some of the key issues that you've, you've dealt with uh, around food? Yeah, that's a great question, and I I giggled when you said most people haven't been to a food therapist because I think that's very true. I think it's very rare to have seen a food therapist. And actually, what I work with more is sort of disordered eating rather than in eating disorder. Sometimes I work with eating disorders, but that's usually in conjunction with other practitioners whose main focus is anorexia and bulimia and things like that. But the average person actually kind of has disordered eating in a in a smaller way. So usually we are not tapped into our satiety signals, so we're not really sure when we're full. We tend to use food for in place of pleasure or stress relaxa- uh, stress relief. So I really help people kind of decode their bodily signals, understand 
when they're using food, you know, in place of something else or how to incorporate more pleasure in their life so that food isn't like their single source of that. Um, Because often it is. It's usually like food, sex, and alcohol is is what people think of to distress. And there's so much more out there. So a lot of things, one main thing that I do with clients is like a pleasure inventory. So we just kind of free write on all the things that could bring them pleasure during their day, whether that's getting a massage, going for a walk, putting on a podcast, watching a comedy special, smelling some delicious essential oils. There's so many things we can do during the day to kind of lower our stress and take the emphasis off food as that de-stressor or that sort of pleasure, you know, catalyst. Right. I love that phrase, a pleasure inventory. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there are so many things. When you were talking about sex, food, I, I thought you were going to say rock and roll also. but uh, that's, that's <laughs> That too. That's a great one. Some people, you know, listening to music is a big big deal for me when I um, start to have a craving I often will put on music and it'll kind of help me just shake it out I can you know dance around my apartment it sometimes music acts as a little bit of caffeine for our system it it like gets our heart rate up and and we don't usually we don't then need that sugar or that caffeine to do it for us right that's so true and I'm going to share a little secret with you and all of my listeners this is a very personal thing I'm about to share which is when I prepare to do a radio show about a half hour before the show is going to go on the air, I have my music that I listen to. And very often it's a mixture of the doors, which Mm. is very upbeat, heavy duty rock and roll and very life affirming to me. So it puts me in that mood, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah. And that does it for me, you know, in, in a very simple way. I, it's not that I would crave something to eat before a show, but the music has such a powerful impact on me and always has, by the way. Totally. That's a definitely a tool that I use. Um, it can sort of like, sm- like I think that sense also has that. So if you smell something familiar, it can like bring you right back to a certain time or a certain mental or emotional state. I think music is the same way. There are certain playlists that I only listen to during certain times of the month. There are certain playlists right. that I listen to when I'm going for a run or when I'm whatever it is. So music can definitely help us change or shift our emotions which changes our physiology so it can produce energy can mellow us out totally yeah is it fair to say that when you do this pleasure inventory you're in a sense trying to figure out a way to substitute a trigger you know when people get triggered and they start to get nervous or unsettled for some people the go-to thing is food so in mm-hmm. a sense, what you're trying to do is to substitute when, they, when people get triggered in an uncomfortable situation in their life, they run to food. Mm-hmm. And by having a pleasure inventory, you suggest alternatives to just grabbing food to satisfy you. Definitely. Well, yeah, and also just working with our brain chemistry. So our brain is actually set up to feel pleasure more than any other feeling. There are more pleasure receptors in our brain than anything, and we often don't 
sort of honor that. We think of pleasure as something that's sinful, guilty pleasure, um, you know, not during the week, not during the work day, like pleasures for vacation or that type of thing. And so, of course, we're going to rebel. And there are a lot of clients I see that kind of binge eat after 5 p.m. because that's finally when they're relaxing, when they're feeling pleasure. So I like to build in pleasure during the day because that's kind of what we're set up as human beings to crave and to need and to to want. It's sort of like the point of us in a way. So in a, yes, to substitute, but also I just feel like we're all sort of in, in a little bit of um, uh, a need for that, a pleasure deficit, if you will. Um, because we, we, again, we boil it down to kind of food and sex and alcohol and cigarettes. And there's just so many other smaller pleasures to be enjoyed throughout the day. I mean, even like something like stretching or getting lunch with a friend, you know, there's there's so much of that that can that like can create so dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, like all these neurotransmitters that we feel as pleasure. And be, I think because we're in such a deficit, we then turn to food, and that's why there's so much of an obesity epidemic in our country and, and the world. Right. Do you uh, are a lot of the uh, people that come to you are they dealing with? obesity and maybe a mild version of that or something like that are they um yeah a lot of them most of them feel like they need to lose x amount of pounds um but a lot of them i would say more often the issue is like an uncontrolled eating or um turning to food for comfort for pleasure for anxiety relief you know things like that what do you think of the midnight snack? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't like to put blanket statements on anything. However, eating past basically our digestive system goes with the sun. So typically our metabolic rate is highest around noon. And that's, you know, even with intermittent fasting or with keto, they kind of recommend you eating your first meal around then. Um, so I think that's when we're really supposed to be eating and burning our fuel. And I think giving your digestive system a rest, we can't really repair when we're digesting food. It takes somewhere between 80 to 90% of our energy to use to, to digest. So it's so important to give our system that rest overnight while we're sleeping. I know that when I eat late at night, I don't feel as rested from my sleep at all. That's also when we end up storing a lot of our fat and calories. So if you're trying to lose weight at all, I think stop, you know, stopping eating, trying to have an early dinner, stopping around seven or eight. Um, I think in general, it's just better for your energy, which is usually what I kind of try and focus my clients on versus weight loss. I think if you optimize your energy and lowering inflammation in your body, weight loss will be a result, will be a symptom of that, which is, Great. So you're not focusing on changing your changing your physical body. You're ch- focusing on how you're feeling and cr- improving your quality of life, and weight will kind of follow. Right. Uh, I, I like that approach. So if I came to you and I said, Natalie, um, I'm looking to perhaps you know lose 10 to 15 pounds. Um, what type of a program would you put me on? And typically, what would be the parameters of the length of the of the time that I would come see you in terms of treatment? Can you give us some yes. broad idea about that? So my intake questionnaire is about 20 questions long, and my initial session is 90 minutes. So in order for me to give you 
great advice, I would need to know a lot more about your de- the details of your life, you know. So the weight is a symptom of the way you're living. So for me to prescribe any plan without understanding what you do for a living, where your joy comes from, where your anxieties are, do you cook, you know, what's your kitchen like? There are some people that live alone and have their, you know, huge kitchen to themselves. There are some people that live with six roommates and meal prepping every Sunday is just like not going to happen for them. And, you know, so in order to make any recommendations, my programs are so unique and bespoke to the person. Um, I sort of need to dive into that with you. In terms of length, it also varies, but my most popular session, my most popular program is about eight weeks. And then, and that's a package that I offer, and then we kind of determine from there on a month-by-month basis um, how much longer we need to work together. And it's been anywhere from, okay, eight weeks, this was great, to you know another year and a half. really depends on the person. Right. Well, that gives us some ideas to what a uh, typical treatment might be if we came to you with uh, looking for some type of adjustment in our food schedule. Uh, let me ask mm-hmm. you this. You were, you were also a professional chef before you became a food therapist. So mm-hmm. as a chef and as somebody who loves to eat, what's your favorite food? That's a great question. Oh, I am so bad at answering that. Um, you know what? I think it would have to be a, like a really great roast chicken with like crispy skin and and some type of, like, really charred vegetable on the side with, like, a great dipping sauce. Um, Also, Israeli food. I I cooked in Israel for a bit, and anything that they do over there just kind of kicks our asses over here. (laughs) Why why do you say that? What's so different about the cooking there? Um, There's sort of like a – so I worked in kitchens in San Francisco, New York, Portland, and Tel Aviv. And when I went to Israel, there's um, the way that they treat the line cooks and the chefs in the kitchen there is just as good as they treat the customers. So there's really no differentiation between the people working and the people eating there. And I think that shows up in the food. There is a lot of respect and kind of ownership over what you're making there. There's not too much as much of a dictatorship as there are, especially in New York with chefs. Um, they give you a lot of, you know, leeway on what you're making in terms of you know, if you want to use this herb or lemon juice or lime. I mean, it's not a huge amount, but I feel that the cooks there have a lot more passion because they're given that sort of respect and freedom. And there's just not as much regulation. I mean, they, you know, taste with their fingers and and cut up a watermelon and pass it around the kitchen or the, in the dining room and um, you know, one of my favorite chefs, Ayal Shaini, has a bunch of restaurants where everything's served on parchment paper, and you get kind of like a, a handful of sea salt thrown on your parchment paper placemat for the night, and it's just, um, it's very like you eat with our hands. It's very sensual. It's just kind of a completely different experience. It's more, it's more engaging, and I think includes more senses than some of the dining over here does. Well, that's interesting. And what about the difference between the West Coast of the United States and New York in terms of food availability, cooking styles? That was really hard for me to stomach, no pun intended, when I moved back to – I'm from Manhattan, 
moved to San Francisco after college and went to culinary school there and worked at two awesome restaurants, Delfina and Nopa. And I was so lucky to work at places where the chefs were the owners and they really cared about the produce quality. At Nopa, we went to the market three times a week. Everything was insanely local and seasonal. And I really understood the just the joy of eating seasonally. I never even thought about that when I grew up in New York. I mean, I remember whining to my mom that there were no peaches in December and being like, why do we have peaches right now? And like being, you know, indignant that, that we couldn't get them. And living there, you just, it's part of the lifestyle. So when I moved back here, I was a little depressed. I would go to the you know, the supermarket, I, I stupidly moved back in December, which was not a great time of year to uh, to make that change. But, um, I, you know, nothing smelled the way I was, I was used to it smelling. The produce just looked limp and, you know, most of it's flown in from California or Mexico or something. So working at a restaurant there, I was definitely having to kind of adjust to the lower quality produce standards. And, you know, they say that the West Coast is product-driven restaurants and the East Coast is technique and, and chef-driven. So I definitely learned way more techniques over here in terms of dehydrating and, you know, compressing and and using xanthan gum and all that stuff, which we did not do in California. Um, but I'm kind of glad that I had my first round of training on the West Coast and really learned about product and respecting the product and kind of getting out of the way, letting it shine. And I think now I've never known the joy of spring and summer, you know, living here now. I, I just, I live across the street from the Union Square Farmer's Market. And I was just thinking when I was there on Saturday that I better soak it all in now because in a few months it's going to be quite a bit more bare. <laughs> wow, that's that's really interesting. So working in the food area in a wide range of geographical places and and now becoming a food therapist, what are the fundamental elements that you see of wellness? Mm. Number one, I would say, and this is such a buzzword and I kind of hate myself for using it, but some kind of mindfulness. And what that means to me is just an awareness of your body and yourself and and what you're going through emotionally and physically. So being able to kind of take a step back from that moment of anxiety or fear or, you know, whatever it is you're feeling and, and sort of treat yourself like as a, you know, in terms of like as a doctor, like, okay, I, I'm in this fear cycle or I'm in this anxiety cycle. I have so much to do. It's 9 p.m. and I still have, you know, and being able to kind of talk yourself down from that because I think that stress and chronic stress is a real problem, especially in New York. We're always on. We're always at beck and call of our phones and our TVs and our laptops and our iPads and all that stuff. And our system can't repair when we're in that fight or flight mode. Basically, we our bodies can't tell the difference between a tiger, you know, chasing us and 10 emails from our boss telling us, you know, that we need to be doing XYZ. So, we produce the same amount of cortisol and we kind of, you know, stop that rest and repair mode for, you know, just as we would if there was a tiger chasing us. And that is can be good in small doses and it's there for a reason to get us to kind of move and and get action going. But if we don't have the flip side of that where we're resting and repairing, 
that's where chronic inflammation happens and, you know, chronic disease, which is a huge part of what's going on in, in the world and our country. And right now, most of our diseases are chronic. They're not something where you take an antibiotic or you take something and, and you're fine the next day. It's a lot of autoimmune issues and diabetes and IBS and things that are hurting people on a daily basis, and those are all related to chronic stress. So we can't digest our food, we can't get our nutrients, we can't repair when we're in stress mode. I think that's a huge pillar of of a healthy life is figuring out stress management, and I think that that comes with knowing when you are stressed and then how to, the best way to deal with it. Breath for me is number one. Deep breathing, it's so simple, it's free, you can do it anywhere, Whenever I notice that I'm shallow breathing or I'm in a stressful mode, morning, noon, or night, I just start counting 10 deep breaths. And that has been life-changing for me, whether it's you know, right before I'm about to see a client or trying to fall asleep or getting something done or I find myself multitasking a bit too much during the day. I will just refocus, take a deep breath, you know, kind of count 10 of them, and it immediately shifts me into a more relaxed, clear-headed state. So that's, I would say that's almost first and foremost. Of course, a balanced, healthy diet, um, you know, but we can't necessarily do that without being mindful first of what we're eating and what we're craving and how to deal with that. So definitely, first, first and foremost, stress relief, mindfulness. Second of all, your diet, When I and I think that relies around you know, clean proteins, grass-fed meat, wild fish, if you're a vegetarian, um, beans, lentils, seeds, nuts, and then lots of great healthy fats. I think that we're all way too afraid of fat. They're super important for our energy. For Every cell in our body has a membrane made up of lipids, so we need that fat um, energy. And, uh, and then vegetables, fiber, nutrients, so you know, and some some healthy grains, but a lot of us are having trouble digesting both grains and dairy. So I would say if you have a diet that consists mostly of protein, fat, and and vegetables, which, you know, are carbs also, um, you know, you're in great shape. And, of course, you're going to have treats and things here and there. I have a huge sweet tooth. I love making my own healthy healthy treats. I was just eating a um, sort of cookie dough bar that I made out of, cashews and almond flour and maple syrup and vanilla and chocolate chips and all that stuff and I love like the pressed juicery freezes that are made out of pure fruit um, but you just want to watch your sugar intake because one it's super addicting it's um, kind of a neurotoxin I mean it's very inflammatory and it leads to a lot of the issues that we've sort of been pinning on fat all these years of obesity and diabetes and sugar is really kind of at the core of a lot of that Mm. What are some examples of healthy fats? Um, olive oil, avocado oil, ghee is my favorite. So that's clarified butter, which is butter without the water or the milk protein. It's just the pure fat. Great for your digestion. I cook mostly with ghee. Um, and avocado, uh, I love my nut butters. I get uh, sprouted nut butters from a company called The Philosopher's Stone. And I have those all the time. So those are my main sources of fat, I would say. Avocado, nut butter, olive oil, and ghee. Right. Of course, you can also get so, it from wild fish, salmon, and things like that. 
An right. egg yolk, pastured egg yolk. I hope this isn't a stupid question, but how do you spell ghee? <laughs> no stupid questions. It's G-H-E-E. And my favorite company, um, I have a couple, but Fourth and Heart is really great, and you can get them on Thrive Market. They have a couple flavors, uh, sea salt, a garlic, and an original, and they get um, all their butter from grass-fed cows in New Zealand, actually, I think. Um, wow. So I really trust their sourcing. It smells incredible. It has a really long shelf life. You don't have to keep it in the fridge. I keep mine on the counter just sealed really tightly. Um and I use it instead of butter for for everything. I kind of put it on my toast. I cook my eggs in it. Uh, it's great. It has a really high smoke point, so it's great for searing steaks and things like that. I love to, like, put a little ghee in my cast iron, add some grated garlic and some rosemary, and kind of sear a steak and baste it with that mix. Mm-hmm. It's great for roasting so vegetables. Eat, right, so you do eat red meat occasionally. Yeah, I eat everything occasionally. <laughs> Um, I do love red meat. As long I, I get mine from the farmer's market, from grass-fed organic purveyor. And uh, I probably have red meat maybe twice a month, not because I'm counting. I'm just trying to – I'm just thinking about it. And um, it's actually great to eat for women around your period because you are losing that blood and iron. Um, and I think it helps with cravings. So I try and have red meat around that time. And um, it's great for pregnant women who, who usually have an iron dip. Right, right, right. Well, you know, this, uh, the, the, this show has gone so quickly. I want to ask you one quick question and, yeah. and then just, just ask you to give us the best way for our listeners to contact you if they want to use you as, as, a, um, as a therapist. What's your position on electronic devices during eating? So just as I mentioned before, the cephalic phase digestion, which is the phase – the cephalic digestive phase, which is the phase where we are aware and excited for our food, that's about 40 to 60% of our digestive power. So if we are scrolling on Instagram or watching TV or, or eating at our desk, we're taking away a huge chunk of our digestive power. So if you are suffering right. from any kind of digestive issues, heartburn, IBS, you know, stomach aches, anything, thinking that you're maybe allergic to some kind of food, it could just be that you're not um, you're not giving your body that chance to produce the enzymes and the juices right. and that kind of thing. Well, so I would say, you know, if you advice. feel great, do it. If you know, yeah. if you're not feeling great, try try not to. Natalie, what's the best way for contact you? Yeah, so check out my website. It's www.nataliezices.com, spelled N-A-T-A-L-I-E-Z-I-S-E-S. I have lots of free stuff on there. I have a blog. You can contact me. Um, I also do corporate memberships. So if you work at a company and you want me to be your con- wellness concierge and come in and do you know, wellness talks and be available via email and stuff like that, I love doing that stuff. So. Yeah. Natalie, so glad to have you on the show. We've run out of time. It has just flown. Thank you again yeah. for being here. Thank you. To Thanks all so much for having me. It's been a tremendous and a very tasty delight, I might add. So, great. Uh, um, all right. Uh, good evening to everybody. Have a great night and eat healthy. You've just learned some really important tips. Use them tonight. Good night, Yes, everybody. and breathe. Good night. <laughs> Bye.